You know, I just love how God shows up in unexpected ways, and I'm so grateful for Mary's story. Uh, and there are a lot of similar themes in my own story, uh, except mine's a little bit different in that I really wasn't looking for God. I was kind of running the opposite direction. Instead of running to God, I was running away, and probably at no greater speed than at that time in life when God revealed the reality of his love for me and completely transformed my life. And so in a lot of ways, running away from God, I, I can really understand the mentality of this man, Jonah, that we're going to talk about today. You know, a lot of people um, get confused about who Jonah is and what he's about. Uh, many of you may remember a few years back, <clears throat> Jay Leno had, was the host of The Tonight Show. And he used to do this segment called Man on the Street. And what he would do is he'd go out on the street with a film crew and he'd just interview random people and ask them questions. Well, at one point in time, he was out there on the street and he was interviewing a group of young people. And he asked one particular young man, he asked him this question, who, according to the Bible, got swallowed by a whale? And the young man replied back to him with great confidence, Pinocchio. (laughs) Well, like I said, there's a lot of confusion when it comes to this man, Jonah, you know, and I'm not so sure actually how Pinocchio would have been as a biblical prophet. But one thing I know for sure, you probably could tell when he was lying to you, right? (laughs) So we're going to talk a little bit about Jonah, you know, who was he? Uh, What was he about? So I encourage you, if you take out those message notes that are in the middle of your program right there, we have a few things to kind of look at and fill in the blank. If you've got a Bible, you can open it to the book of Jonah, which is just past Psalms a little ways. It's one of the minor prophets. But even if you don't have a Bible, uh, the verses will be up here on the screens. You'll see them. That'll help us. So as I said, one of the first things that we see from the very beginning of this story about Jonah is that Jonah was a prophet. Now, a prophet is somebody, and their job was that God would speak to them and give them a message, and then they were to bring this message to the people. That was their job. And so in Jonah 1, 1 to 2, it says this, The Lord gave his message to Jonah, son of Amittai, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. So Jonah gets this message from God. And instead of going to Nineveh, he actually went the opposite direction. (laughs) And he got on a boat and he started to travel to Tarshish, which was actually the exact opposite of the the edges of the known world that time on the tip of Spain. And so I'm not sure, you know, Jonah says in verse three here that Jonah was trying to escape from the Lord. I wonder how that went, right? (laughs) So here he is, he's in this boat and he's sailing to Tarshish and the Bible tells us that God sent this huge storm that rocked the boat and the boat began to compromise and the crew were terrified. So they began crying out to their God, save us, help us, seeking for help. They began to throw the cargo overboard in order to try to save the ship, but the storm just raged on. So finally the captain goes down into the hold and there's Jonah. And what's he doing? He's asleep. (laughs) He's just checked out, and the captain wakes him up. Jonah, 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 pray to your God. Ask your God to help us. And then he goes back up to the top of the ship, and and the crew gets together, and they cast lots, which is their way of, uh, of trying to figure out what was going on. They wanted to find out who had offended the gods, and Jonah's name came up. And they asked Jonah, Jonah, what have you done? And Jonah told them, I am running from the Lord. And the crew was terrified. Shooken, terrified. 
And they said, well, Jonah, what are we to do? And Jonah said, if you pick me up and throw me overboard, the sea will become calm. Now, that's an interesting response. <laughs> I mean, instead of praying to God or asking for help, Jonah literally would rather die than turn his heart back to God. So the crew didn't want to see Jonah die. So they tried even harder to save the ship. And the more that they did, it seemed like the storm became more fierce. And there was something special about this storm. It wasn't an ordinary storm. They convinced that God of some sort was behind it. Something different about it. And so they just cried out to Jonah's God. And they said, God, please don't hold us responsible for Jonah's death. And they picked up Jonah and they pitched him over the boat. And out he went and splash. And then all of a sudden, the sea indeed became completely calm and the storm stopped. And this crew of men on the boat were awestruck at the power and the wonder of God. And they fell on their faces on the boat and they began to worship God and make sacrifices to him. And they pledged themselves to follow him and do his will the rest of their lives. That kind of put Jonah to shame. Meanwhile, Jonah's in the water. And he's beginning to sink. And go under the sea. And it's getting darker and deeper. And in his last dying breath, he turns to God. And in his mind, he cries out and looks to God. And the Bible says that at that moment, that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. <laughs> you're thinking, okay, preacher, <laughs> you're telling me that this guy was in the side, inside the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. This is a lot, sound a lot like that Pinocchio story you were talking about before. This is a total fairy tale. And yet, I don't want you to get stuck on the fish. You see, because the fish isn't the point of the story. But here's how I look at it. As I look all around me, the stars and the heaven, the atmosphere, the clouds, the way all of these perfect systems work together, photosynthesis, the way our air is clean, the way that we get oxygen. When I look at my own body, my skeletal system, my muscular system, my vascular system, my nervous system, all of these complex interrelated systems surrounding us everywhere we look. When I look at all of that, it is far harder for me to believe that all of these systems just appeared by on their own. And not only that, but they came together and began to work together in an intelligent way to form all of the things that we know today. To me, that is so much more further of an intellectual leap than to believe what the Bible says, that there is an almighty, all-intelligent, ever-present all-knowing, all-powerful God that formed and designed these things. And then, as I told you in my story, where God revealed himself to me and became real and opened my mind and heart to a personal relationship with him, then I can tell you with confidence that I just don't struggle with the idea that God formed a big fish to save Jonah's life. You see, because God performed a miracle in my own life. And when he did that, I know firsthand what miracles look like. Now, some of you are still going to struggle. And I'm just going to tell you, that's okay. It's really okay. It's not about the fish. Don't miss the point 
about what God wants to tell us about the story and the man of Jonah. You know, there are other places that Jonah is mentioned in the Bible. 2 Kings 14.25 says this. It says, Jeroboam II recovered the territories of Israel between Labo Hamath and the Dead Sea, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet from gath Hefer. So here we see that the Bible is recording another instance. You know, some people say the story of Jonah is just an allegory. It's just sort of this picture of what God did. But here it records that Jonah was an actual person that actually did prophesy, a real man. And on top of that, you know that Jesus talks about Jonah in the New Testament. Jesus said that Jonah was an example of his own death and burial and resurrection. Jesus referred to Jonah as a sign. Jonah was a sign. And you can fill that in on your outline there. Let me give you some background to this. There were some religious leaders that came up to Jesus and they asked for a sign or proof of his authority. Give us some proof. And Jesus referred back to Jonah. See, he was preparing these religious leaders for what would become the greatest evidence of his deity, his resurrection from the dead. Matthew 12, 38 to 41 says this. One day, some of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said to him, teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. But Jesus replied, only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of Jonah the prophet, Jesus speaking. For as Jonas was in the, Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will be the Son of Man in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it. For they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah, but now someone greater than Jonah is here. But you refuse to repent. There's some other interesting things about Jonah, too. You not only find Jonah in Christianity and Judaism, but did you know that it's also found in Islam? That if you look into the Quran, the whole story of, of Jonah, as we're talking about today, is in there. Matter of fact, the ancient city of Nineveh is located, it's been excavated, and we now in, it's in the area that we now know as Mosul in Iraq, the same spot. And for centuries, there has been an Islamic mosque named Nabi Yunus, which literally means Prophet Jonah. This is a picture of it right here, Nabi Yunus, just outside of Mosul. What's fascinating about this is this place is said to be the burial tomb of Jonah, where the prophet was swallowed by a great fish who came to bring God's message to the people. That's from the Quran. Now, unfortunately, you can no longer visit Nabi Yunus. It was blown up by ISIS just this last July. It's no longer here. Matter of fact, if you've been watching the news lately, you may be as incredibly disturbed as I am by this group, ISIS. Um, the incredible crucifixions and beheadings, the, the, the rape and the atrocities committed to innocent aid workers and to children. I've really been just disturbed to the core. And if I'm completely honest with you, it's, I've struggled with just an inner hatred toward this group, ISIS. But you know, what's fascinating is that's exactly how Jonah felt about the Ninevites. 
And it's even more fascinating and ironic that they're from the exact same region. You see, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrians, who were one of the most brutal and, and, and wicked people that ever walked the earth. The Assyrians were a terrible people who would go in and conquer a city and just be merciless. They'd cut out the tongues of their captives. They'd skin them alive. They would chop off their heads. And as they left the city in ruins, they would pile the heads of these captives at the edge of the street to celebrate their victory. This is a picture of a stone relief that you can find in the British Museum. There's literally hundreds of these reliefs. And this was made by the Assyrians, carved out, which depicts their captives being literally skinned alive. Jonah was a very popular prophet in Israel. He was famous for pronouncing doom against these wicked Assyrians. But when God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, (laughs) to actually go to these people, Jonah sensed that God had something else in mind. That God wanted to extend his grace to them. And Jonah wanted nothing to do with it. Jonah couldn't even fathom God being merciful to such a wicked people. And so he ran the other way. He ran the other direction. Now, I think most of us can recall a time in our lives, you know, when we look back and we were running from God. Most of us can think back, oh, I remember that time. That was crazy. But I also think there are times when we are running from God and we don't even really realize it, that our heart is hard and we look great on the outside, doing all the right things, but on the inside, our heart is not beating with God. I want us to look at some signs that maybe we're running from God. The first one is this. The first one is that we're ignoring God's word. We're ignoring God's word. The first line of the book of Jonah says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So that's the very first thing. God deeply desires to speak to the hearts of his people. God wants so much to communicate with us, more than we even begin to understand or know. And God spoke directly to Jonah, and Jonah just refused to obey. He didn't listen to God's word. And I think today, maybe there are times when we hear something from God's word and God speaks to us. And we just don't listen, perhaps. Maybe there's something God has spoken to you about that you just haven't listened to from God. Or maybe you just haven't taken the time to be in God's word so that he had the opportunity to listen to you. You know, 2 Timothy 3.16, it tells us that God uses his word to teach us, to instruct us, to equip us for his work. You see, when our, our hearts are right with God, we long to hear his voice. We long for God to speak to us. And we're in love with God's word and we're cherishing it. And when we ignore God's word, it's an indicator that perhaps we need to return to God. Second is maybe we're ignoring God's call on our life. Maybe we're ignoring God's call on our life. We um, ignore God's call in a couple of different ways. First is maybe we're doing something that we really know we shouldn't do. (laughs) You know, God has a plan and, and an identity for us in Christ and we're just doing something we shouldn't do. Or maybe perhaps God has called you to somewhere or something or And he's made that call, and you've sort of made excuses to him. And 
and, and you're trying to maybe bargain with God about that. You know, there's reasons I can't do this, or maybe God, if I just a little bit later. <laughs> What's interesting is that God isn't necessarily interested in negotiation. When he asks us to do something, he wants us to obey. You know, God didn't negotiate with Abraham or Moses or David or Esther or Paul. He wants us to follow him. We can try to run, but we just can't hide from God. Psalm 139, 7 to 12 says this. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I can't hide from you. To the night, to you, the night shines as bright as day. As day. Darkness and light are the same to you. See, when we ignore God's call in our life, it's an indicator that we need to get back and return to God. And last, maybe we're ignoring our responsibility to share the gospel. Maybe we're ignoring our responsibility to share God's good news, the gospel. God told Jonah to go and preach a message of repentance to these Ninevites, and Jonah resisted. His heart didn't reflect the heart of God. In the Old Testament, maybe you've been reading and, and, and you discover that sometimes the Jewish people are referred to as God's chosen people. You ever wonder, what, what is it that they were chosen for? What were they chosen for? What they were chosen for is to tell the nations about who God was. Matter of fact, when God called Abraham to be the father of this Jewish nation, he said, out of your seed, the nations will be blessed. God entrusted his people to tell the world about who he was and about his mighty works. And for all of us that are sitting here in these seats today, assembled to worship the Lord today, we have a great commission, <laughs> that, that we have a, a great assignment, and that's to go and make disciples of all of the nations, to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ and to spread it across the world. And so if we're ignoring our responsibility to share Christ with others, it may be an indicator that we need to return to God. I don't know about you. But wow. <laughs> I mean, even as I was studying this, I have to admit, I, I never want to come across as a guy that tries to make people feel guilty. Isn't that the last thing we want to do at church? But the reality is, sometimes I think we need to check our heart and do a temperature check. And it, for me, this has been kind of like, you know, when you go to the doctor for your annual checkup and you just, you know, just going for a routine annual exam. And then the doctor has some news for you that you weren't expecting. And it, in some ways, this has been like a spiritual MRI. I thought, wow, I'm doing pretty good. And I'm looking at the MRI, spiritual MRI, showing things in my heart that I'm like, wow, you know what? I didn't realize that that was in there, that I have a heart issue. But the good news is that even when we're running from God and heading in the opposite direction, that God pursues us and he desires so much to bring us back to him. So we need these examinations every while, once in a while, these spiritual times where we get alone with God and ask him to seek our heart and reveal to us maybe the unpleasant things so that we can take steps to return to him. You know, we don't want a giant fish to appear in our shower one day. <laughs> we want to take care of this stuff with God. 
All right. So Jonah serves as an incredible example of how we can return and get back on track with God. So one of the first things that he does is you can see Jonah turns his eyes back to God. He turns his eyes back to God. So once Jonah's inside this foul, smelly fish, in the depths of darkness, Jonah begins to worship God. He begins to thank him and worship him for saving him from the depths of the bottom of the ocean. See, Jonah was facing his impending death. In a last act of desperation, he turned to God. He cried out and asked God to save him. And at that moment, God came and rescued him. God moved in. Jonah 1, 2, 1 to 4 says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, from his God, from inside the fish. He said, I cried to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, then I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. I was in a very dark place. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. See, Jonah redirected his focus. Rebellion happens when we take our eyes off of God. You know, we're so self-focused, we're looking at ourselves. We take our eyes off of God. And the Bible says that the cure for this is repentance, which is literally turning around and looking back at God. Sometimes, you know, a rebellious heart, it needs a little extra nudge to get back on track. Isn't that true? You know, up in Oregon, there is a middle school and a little while back, there were a group of middle school girls who were experimenting with wearing lipstick. <laughs> so they went in the bathroom together, and all these girls, you, you just picture this, this would be the riot. So they're putting on their lipstick, you know, and that all was fine and good. But then afterwards, what they do is they would press their lips to the mirror and leave dozens of little lip prints all over the mirrors. And it was making a big old mess. And so the principal, as you can imagine, wasn't happy about this. And so she called an assembly, brought the school together, and she told the girls, this is making a horrible mess. It's tough to clean up. Do not kiss the mirror anymore. <laughs> and so they, they did that, and then the next couple of weeks go by, and these lip prints keep showing up on the mirror. And so this clever principal, she called the girls together again and had them meet in the bathroom with the school custodian. And she told them how difficult it was for the custodian to have to clean up this mess every evening. And she said in order to demonstrate how difficult it was to clean, she asked the, the custodian to clean up the mirror. So the custodian took a nice long-handled squeegee. He dipped it in the toilet, picked it up, and began to clean the mirror. <laughs> From that day on, there were no more lip prints on the mirror. <laughs> Like I said, sometimes we need a little extra nudge when we have a rebellious heart. The next thing is that Jonah realized his total dependence on God. He realized his total dependence on God. One of the symptoms of a heart that's strained from God is, is self-reliance. You know, where we stop relying on God, ignore Him, and begin to be our own God and do our own thing... And we do this all the time. You know, I think this is one of our greatest struggles that we struggle with is just trying to play our own God, not rely on him. And sometimes we really have to get to the very end of our rope before we're willing to let go, before we're allowing God to help us. Sometimes God 
lets us get to that place. He lets us climb to the end of that rope so that he can be there to save us from ourselves. Jonah 2, 5 to 7 says this. I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, you snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. You know, when we face times when it's tough, and we're going through a hard time, and trials, and difficulties, and pain come onto our life, one of the first things that we ask is, God, where are you? Why do you leave me in my deepest, darkest need? And I think sometimes that God isn't just near. He's not far away. But sometimes he's right in the middle of that difficult time. Waiting for us to let go of our will so that we can embrace his. Also we see that Jonah, he humbly allowed God to strip away his pride and prejudice. When Jonah was alone and dependent on God, God was able to begin the work of renovating and and changing his heart. He was able to address these issues of pride and prejudice in his life. It took the deep darkness of that fish for Jonah to be able to finally see the sin in his life and begin to face up to it. Jonah 2 verse 8 says, Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies. You see, in the original language, this term, false gods, it means empty vanities. And what Jonah's saying is that those who place a high value on the things that don't really matter in life, that they disregard and turn their back on God's mercy. Jonah valued his pride. He valued his identity, his desire for vengeance all over on top of God's mercy and love for lost people. But God began to change Jonah's heart so it would beat more like his. You know what caused the change? It was God's word. If you've spent very much time in the book of Psalms, you'll notice as you read through Jonah's Jonah's prayer, through all of these verses, you're going to see several psalms come up. Because Jonah is literally, as he's in this time, he's allowing his, as he's praying, his mind is bathed with scripture all of the times that he had that he had studied God's word, were coming and flooding over him. He allows God's word to transform his thoughts. And he begins to pray, and he quotes from Psalm 42, 31, 69, 147, 18, and 3. God's word is beginning to transform Jonah's thoughts so that he thinks like God. His heart is beginning to transform, and God's word will always guide us back to the Lord if we allow it to do so. The Bible is God's living word. And if we posture our ear to listen to it, our heart to embrace it, and our will to obey it, it will transform us. And then last, Jonah submitted to God without reservation. (laughs) When Jonah turned his eyes back on God, when He recognized God's place in his life when he allowed God's word to transform his heart. Then finally, his stubborn will was finally ready to submit to God. And in verse 9, we hear Jonah say, But I will offer sacrifices to you 
with songs of praise. And I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. See, Jonah really needed to get away from all the distractions, to get alone with God so that God's voice could finally penetrate deep into his heart. And if you sense in your own heart and life that maybe you've strayed a little bit, come soft on the edges, or if you're really willing to call it what it is, you're just being disobedient to the Lord, I encourage you to get alone with God and allow Him to begin to transform your heart. Because when God rules over our hearts, it's then that our feet will begin to walk in His ways. And at that beautiful moment of surrender, that moment, it says, the Bible tells us that God appointed that fish to spit Jonah out onto the shore, and then Jonah gets a second chance. I'm glad for second chances to go and do God's will. So Jonah makes his way to Nineveh. He proclaims God's judgment and, 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 and gives God's message to the people, and something amazing happens. The entire nation of Nineveh, from the king down, all turn and repent and turn to God. I mean, it was incredible, amazing work. It was amazing. And you would think that Jonah would be dancing in the street. But what I love, and I think this is a test to the truth of God's word, because it, you know, if it's just some guy writing a story about himself, he would never include this. But what it tells us what happened with Jonah, I mean, you'd think that Jonah would ride off into the sunset on the back of the fish. Oh, you know. But what it tells us he did instead is that Jonah grieves over this. That he's despondent that God would save this people and he wants to die. <laughs> it's just ugly. But again, I'm so thankful that the Bible never hides the ugly side of our humanity. And I honestly think about how we might react. If tomorrow on CNN, headline news, ISIS turns their lives over to Jesus Christ. I mean, there would be part of us that would be so excited about that. But if you had a personal relationship with a soldier that lost their life in that conflict or you knew somebody wouldn't you struggle in your heart being holding on to not sure if you're able just to forgive them and let it go wouldn't we struggle i'm so glad for god's mercy in my own personal life and and how he pursues me even when i'm running away and how he forgives me and embraces me as his child even when I don't deserve it. Challenged by that. And I can tell you this with great confidence that running with God is a lot better than running from God. Isn't it true? I want to leave you with just two simple questions, some thoughts that I'm hoping and praying that you'll get along with God sometime this week and ask these two questions and really dig into them. One is, what is my Tarshish? Hard to say. <laughs> but spend that time. Ask God that question. What is the place that I've gone that's the opposite of God's will for my life? And then the other question is, where is my Nineveh? Where is the place that God has called me to, the person he's called me to, the ministry maybe that he wants me to do, that I've just resisted and not paid much attention to, but he wants to use me? Those are two great questions. And when you get your answers, don't run. <laughs> but allow God to do something beautiful through it. Let's pray. Lord.
God, I, I thank you so much for the reminder of how deep your love is for us. Thank you for the beauty of Mary's story, God, and how it helps to reflect on our story and, and remembering the freshness of, of, of what it was like to be lost and, and, and alone and not knowing you or who you were and wondering if there was anything else in life. God, my heart's prayer is if there are some in this room that are sensing that and feeling that, that just as you did for her, just as you did for some of us, that you would reach your arms out and let them know that they are deeply loved, that they were designed from the beginning of the world with your thought of them in your mind, that they would be created as an object of your love. Don't let them leave without sensing that that is true from your very heart. And God, for many of us, realizing it's been overt that we've been running for you, running away, or maybe just subtle, and we didn't even realize we were running, but our heart is hard. God, we just ask. Open our hearts, God. It would be imperative in our heart that we would want to Return, God, and allow you to do the great work that you would want to do. It's a big wall to call out, climb over, God, to, to trust that if we just abandon ourselves and say, whatever you want, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, however you want me to live, God, I'm just going to trust you with that. It's such a huge wall. But on the other side of that wall, Lord, believing by faith, there is a glorious future ahead, a fulfillment that we can't even begin to express or understand. And so we just pray for the faith and the courage to be there and to do that. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.